Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Thursday edition is here. Big show plans, as usual. Trey Wallace from Outkick.com joins us in 20 minutes, talking all things SEC and his conversation and piece from Greg Sankey and the Southeastern Conference. The commissioner spoke with Trey. We'll speak with Trey next segment. Looking forward to that. Billy Lucci of TexAgs.com, the founder, the owner of TexAgs with us. We'll talk SEC headlines and specifically what has changed in this offseason for what is expected to be a rebound year for Texas A&M football. They're going into spring, recruiting class not nearly as touted. Billy joins us coming up in hour number two. And uh, at the beginning of hour number three, David Hookstead of Outkick.com hits on a variety of topics you can read about at the site. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Happy to be here. And I'd better be a bounce back year for Texas A&M. Should be. We'll, uh, Should be. We'll definitely discuss with Billy. Chad, it happened. Vegas always knows, and they knew again last night where number one Alabama falls to number 10 Tennessee in a game that looked like the wrong team was favored. I'd like to take this moment to officially apologize for my awful advice to everyone yesterday. Um, there is a reason Vegas is Vegas, and there is a reason that I am me. <laughs> That's the best that I can say on that. I thought that I had the exclusive tip of the century that this was going to be the easiest money anyone would ever make. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Here's yesterday's audio. As a Tennessee grad, I'm even telling you this. Take Bama money line. <laughs> this is the easiest money you will make all Bet year. Bama. If Tennessee wins this game, feel free to play this back tomorrow, what I'm telling you. But right now, mark my word. Bet everything you have in your <laughs> online account. On Bama <laughs> to win on the money line. You actually get a good little percentage based on that, not just to cover, to win outright. They will go to Knoxville and win tonight. This game has already been played. You'll have some handicapper selling that. It's like the game's already been played. I've seen this game. You can call and get the free it's, recording. It's been played. You are really relying on some magic in Thompson Bowling Arena. It was way worse than I expected, having <laughs> seen and heard it back. Um a little bit embarrassed. Tennessee is my alma mater. I'm thrilled that they beat Alabama last night, by the way. I lost uh, not a considerable amount of money, but for me and what I play, it was a, a solid amount that I bet on that game and lost. But look, I, I was dead wrong. The, these are the reasons that when Clay joined us, I think Hutton alluded to this also, and anyone else who tweeted me, you were right, I'm wrong. When something seems out of line, Typically, it's Vegas that knows and not the random gambler out there. That was certainly the case last night. I'm willing to bet 90% of the money came in on Alabama money line or Alabama covering three and a half yesterday against Tennessee. Tennessee lost back-to-back -back games on buzzer beaters. Fluky, especially the second one. Um, they're still a very good team. They were at home, but they were without two starters. I did not think, Hutton, that Tennessee was going to be able to defend 
Alabama the way they were. They held them 25 points below their average this season, 59 points, the only time Bama has gone below 60 all season. Tennessee played suffocating defense. 19 turnovers. That magic that I alluded to yesterday happened, the Thompson Bowling Arena magic. It was a raucous atmosphere, and Tennessee got it done. Congrats to them. I did obviously did not see it coming. I was as shocked as anyone when it happened. I also knew about four minutes into the second half that it was my bet's in trouble. <laughs> I just knew the way the game was trending. Did you try to hedge? And the way Tennessee was going, I did not. I just I wrote it out. And I lost everything that I bet. And I, again, apologies to all of you that if you actually took my advice yesterday. I feel like some of you on social media are playing it up like you followed my advice when really you didn't. Uh, but if you did follow my advice and you lost money, I'm sorry. I'm big enough to admit when I'm wrong. And I was dead wrong about that game. It's I'm the, still surprised. There's the one guy that did bet everything in his account. And taking your advice. He's probably going to show up here today. It's Nick, probably six in the to chat. Peabody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, someone in the YouTube chat is going to just blow me bigger, up today because of this. Bigger picture, Alabama's that's their first SEC loss. They're twelve and one now on the season in the conference, and this is now the eighth time this season that a number one team has suffered a loss. Uh, we've seen it. Purdue's done it what three times? Houston twice, North Carolina twice, and now Alabama. This is a wide open college basketball season. Not just because the Blue Bloods aren't at the top, but because even if you are on top, you're not on top for very long this college basketball season. It's going to make for an exciting March. I think that's, that's one thing. And it's crazy you mentioned North Carolina twice as number one yeah. did it. North Carolina has got to pull it together to make the tournament right now. I mean, they are spiraling at this point. They're the preseason number one team in America. They were the national runner-up a year ago. They may not make the tournament. That's just a sign of how crazy and wide open this season has been so far. There are a bunch of teams that could theoretically win it all. There was a year, I want to say maybe 2014, 2015, around there, where UConn and Kentucky squared off as a 7 versus 8 in the national championship game, and UConn won in a wild uh, uh, March Madness. I think that could happen again. It would not surprise me if some higher seeds went really far this year and contended for a national championship because it's as wide open as I can remember. When couldn't have been at a better time for Tennessee. Now is Kentucky, right, next up on Saturday? Noon tip-off? Yep, Tennessee at Rupp And that's a big Saturday. game for the Wildcats. Huge for Kentucky. They won a big one last night. It was very close, uh, but they won at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's been red hot. They're back into the NCAA tournament conversation now. But uh, Kentucky goes to Starkville and wins. If Kentucky wins on Saturday just for the SEC, they'll be tied with Tennessee, but really they'll be ahead because they will have swept the Vols. So they'll own the tiebreaker at that point, and they would be third in the SEC. So big game for both teams, for Tennessee to try to get that double bye in a top-four seed. They're obviously in the NCAA tournament. It's just a matter of what seed they're going to get right now. But for Kentucky – you're going to feel pretty secure at that point with two wins over Tennessee uh, if they can win at home. A big day today for Tiger Woods. We're going to learn a lot about uh, our favorite player uh, on the PGA Tour. Coming back from injury, he's back after uh, a long layoff since his last tournament appearance, which which was at the, the Open, the British Open at St. Andrews. And... He said this week he's playing with a mindset of winning. He's not going to compete if he doesn't believe he can win. He's playing the Genesis Invitational, a course at Riviera he knows very well. He just teed off 
with Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy, and he's walking with a very noticeable limp. I don't think that's a surprise, but players were even noticing this with reporters that were on site this morning saying, and this is from Daniel Rappaport, who's covering the event at Riviera, had two players reach out to say Tiger was walking with a pretty significant limp through the player dining after yesterday's pro-am. Granted, it's freezing cold, but just a reminder of how much pain he has to endure to play a simple round of golf. It makes me sad. There, if you're cover, if, if for those covering this event, they're not expecting much from him. His mentality is he's not going to be embarrassed, and I, I'm eager to follow what he does today, because while he may be able to make it a couple of rounds and it's okay, that's not good enough for him. And I hope for our sake and his sake, just being a fan of watching him play, that it's good enough through the first couple of days. Even if he doesn't make the cut, that it's good enough to see him further than just maybe every now and then at Augusta. Yeah, and we're going to update his score throughout the show today when we, we get a chance. If he doesn't want to be embarrassed, he's probably going to withdraw. That that's, that's sort of my fear right now. Right, which he did that last year. That limp is really bad. And when he says that, you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself. If physically he just can't do the job, my my guess right now watching him limp around is he's going to withdraw after the round today. If he makes it through two rounds, I'd be shocked. Um, physically, he just does not look like he can do it. I give him all the credit in the world for battling back, trying to do this, wanting to do it. All the competitive accolades you can give Tiger Woods, I give him all of them for making a go of it. I just don't see any way with that limp. And the way I saw a video of him yesterday walking upstairs on yeah. the course, and he was trying his best to not show how difficult it was, but it looked like, and understandably so, this is not me making fun of him, it looked like an 85-year-old man walking upstairs. He's got an ankle issue that's even worse than the knee. And plantar fasciitis in his foot now also on that surgically repaired leg that he almost lost. So we'll keep, we'll keep tabs on Tiger's round, which again, just teed off this afternoon. Uh, Brooks Kepka, according to uh, writer Alan Shipnuck, who is embedded in the Live Tour, or has been, for uh, a book that he'll have coming out involving the, the civil war between uh, Live and PGA, which is going to be well-documented and has been in the new Netflix documentary, uh, Full Swing, which dropped the eight-episode series dropped yesterday on Netflix. Can't wait to watch it. But according to Shipnuck, who came on the show uh, earlier um, last, last fall, Hearing a lot of rumblings that Brooks Kepka has buyer's remorse. He took the money when his brittle body was still being put back together. And in private, he has confided to folks he wasn't sure if he would ever get fully healthy again. But now, Kepka is feeling frisky and supposedly rethinking his career choice. Continues. The guy has one of the biggest egos in golf. And as the PGA Tour creates ever-increasing buzz which is with its elevated events and even the state-sanctioned TGL... Kepka has to feel like he's on the outside looking in. I don't know how he can come to that conclusion just yet. He made $8 million for winning, winning purses uh, in total on tour for Live last year, 2022. And the reports were he had a $100 million signing bonus. And the fact that the Masters is going to allow Live golfers to participate... That's a big step towards the majors still being able to see your favorite golfers compete against the best in the world. And, you know, Clay has said this on the show uh, previously. 
I'm eager to see how things come together. But with the PGA elevating their own payout standards and trying to make things better for the actual tour in response to players leaving for the live tour, could there be a merger of some sort down the road where we see an AFL NFL merger uh, in a couple of years and, and, or maybe less than that. I don't know, but I think we have to get to a point where it's similar to a merger style than what we've seen. And if not, I mean, imagine contractually, if you get a hundred million dollar signing bonus, and again, that was the report, how it's not like you're just going to leave and join the PGA tour again. Not but without what, not without sacrificing a lot of that money and giving it back. Or, I'm, I'm guessing, but uh, maybe you yeah. can negotiate it down and say, With "All right, you owe me 75 million of the hundred. <laughs> I mean, that here this is going to be fun to follow and see Kepka's response to this report because uh, I mean, he took the bag like a lot of golfers did. And they're making a ton of money doing it, and I think we've learned through the Live Tour and what they did last year, they can they can stay afloat for a while, and. What a victory this would be for the PGA if Kepka came out and said, yeah, I want to be back in. It'd be a massive win for the PGA, which we haven't seen. Other than Tiger turning down a reported $700 million. I just, look, from a financial standpoint, it's a win for Brooks Kepka or any of those guys that left. Like, I, There's yeah. no arguing with the money. I mean, clearly they got paid and, you know, a well- should he be saying that he regrets it or thinking that way with all the money? I mean, look, everybody's wired differently. If you just want the money, yeah, go take the money. But the Live Tour doesn't have what we just witnessed in Phoenix. The 260,000 people at a random tournament in February at a PGA Tour event. It is a million miles apart in terms of interest in this country and globally. If you are a killer the way Brooks Kepka is, and you want the spotlight, you want to be in the final group in that major, and you want the criticism, and you want all the heat. You don't want to be on the live tour. That's, that's for people who just want money. That's what that is. It is the Saudis flexing their money and paying for as many people as they can to try to build something. Hutton, I don't see a merger happening. I don't know what the live tour has to offer other than the Saudi money to the players. There's not a single event the Live Tour offers that the PJ is like, yeah, let's talk shop and do business no, it's just because money. we we want this tournament that you have over in Saudi Arabia. That's the thing that I think the PGA here here's what I've come to the conclusion on. They're going to be just fine without the guys who left and took the money, and those guys are just fine because they've well, got all the money in the world now for leaving the PGA Tour. I can understand the buyer's remorse for a guy like Kepka if he's now getting healthier and he wants to compete in the biggest tournaments in the world, he's not able to do that other than the Masters because he took the money with the Live Tour. Now, you raise a great point on you took the money. Well, he can play in the, he can play in they, the, in the majors. They own you to an extent now, though. Like It's not just, hey, guys, uh, I'm not happy with this. I'm right. leaving. It's not as simple as just... Uh, I'm, I'm going back. Yeah. yeah, And I don't think it's that simple for the PGA Tour. I think they would work something out where if he really wanted back, they would eventually let him back. Well, but I don't think it's as easy as, hey, I'm giving a lot of the money well, even, back. Even Rory's the Saudis coming are going to let the, me leave, and then I'm going to rejoin the next week on the tour. Yeah, even Rory's not as staunch as he was when everything was going down initially, because I think you, you, what we're seeing from Augusta National and other majors, we're going to see the top golfers compete. And as a casual golf fan, that's really all I need. You know, live tour, PGA tour, whatever. As as a 
golf fan that's going to tune into the majors and enjoy it or show up to the waste management on Saturday, but not even look to see who won it on Sunday. Um, you know, if Kepka's playing in Augusta, great. That's absolutely that's what I want. And that's that's a big step for Live. Yeah, to have and look, those guys if, in. If, if the Live Tour ultimately makes the PGA Tour better with this competition, right. the way the AFL made the NFL stronger and better, great. I think all sides win at that yes. point. But let's, I mean, there's no disguising. It's not like the guys who left for the Live Tour left for the competition and oh, the no. thrill of the tournament. They left because they got paid bukus of cash to go leave the PGA Tour and all the fame and celebrity and competition and being in the world's greatest golf tour to go make money from the Saudis. That, that's why they left. So if you now regret that, I mean, that's on you. I can understand that regret, but I doubt it's going to change anything. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Eric Bieniemy interviewing with the Washington Commanders today. We mentioned yesterday that he had accepted that interview. He would be doing that with Ron Rivera. And, and it's interesting, uh, based on quotes and comments from Andy Reid and the Chiefs, they're not trying to keep him. They weren't really trying to keep him last year, if you remember how long it took for them to announce that the enemy was going to be back as offensive coordinator. Uh, here's the quote from Andy Reid earlier this week. Eric Bieniemy has been tremendous for us, and I think tremendous for the National Football League. I'm hoping he has an opportunity to go somewhere and do his thing where he can run the show and be Eric Bieniemy. That's Andy Reid to ESPN after the Super Bowl. I view that as what I, the way I saw it last year. They weren't really sure if he'd be back last year. And he's been wanting a chance to go be Eric Bieniemy and not be the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs who doesn't call plays. Washington's going to give him that opportunity. Others would have, too. He, the Titans asked for permission, according to reports, to chat with him. Um, and they went ahead and, and elevated Tim Kelly to OC before Bieniemy was even done with uh, the playoffs. Meanwhile, uh, Baltimore was also mentioned for him. They go with Todd Munkin. So now he has, it, it sounds like it's going to be Washington offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Two things. One, Stephen A. Smith uh, gets what he wants because yeah. he, he claimed, hey, if Andy Reid really cared about Eric Bieniemy, he'd let him call plays, which is ridiculous because they're winning Super Bowls with Andy Reid calling plays, so he's not going to not call plays. But this is sort of letting baby bird fly, right? I mean, if, if you want to go and be a head coach, I get it. You can go and interview for other jobs where you can run the offense. And I give Eric Bieniemy credit for not just staying in the comfortable nest of working on Andy Reid's staff and having Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback and having all this success and instead deciding, I'm going to go out on my own and have my own offense and start my own thing and see if that leads to me being a head coach. Great for him. Um, great for the Chiefs for saying, yeah, let's get, go and make that happen if now's that, that time that you want to take that next step. And Carson Wentz is still under contract for the upcoming season in Washington. That doesn't help him. No, uh, but this is his opportunity. You know, he's getting the, the chance to be the, the OC, and it's, he's running the show. He is the head coach offense. Turn Carson Wentz into something that's a really good offense in the league, and I think Eric Bieniemy will be a head coach. Carson Wentz of 2017. Eric Bieniemy will be a coach next year if he can transform Carson Wentz into a good quarterback again. Coming up. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com joins us. He spoke with Greg Sankey about the upcoming scheduling for the conference once Texas and Oklahoma join. We will get his thoughts on what the commissioner told him in a piece that is available now at Outkick.com. 
Plus, we'll hit all the SEC headlines with Trey. That's next on Outkick 360. Hang with us. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Hutton Withrow with you. Trey Wallace joins us. The column available at Outkick.com. Greg Sankey expects future SEC football scheduling format decision before spring meetings in Destin. This available right now only on Outkick as well as the Trey Wallace podcast, which is where he sat down with Commissioner Sankey. Trey, how are you? Gentlemen, I am I am good. Hope y'all are well. And uh, Chad, I know you've been taking some lickings about the 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 Alabama Tennessee game last night, but I hope your rear end's okay, buddy. Yeah, and no, I I can I can handle it. Uh, and I'm I'm taking my medicine today on it for sure. But Trey, legitimately, I am shocked uh, when I watched that last night, and not because I thought Tennessee had fallen off a cliff because they lost on back to back buzzer beaters or anything like that, but right. I just saw them without two of their most versatile defenders against Brandon Miller and Alabama and the way they drive and kick for three. And I thought, even with Tennessee's defense, they're not going to hold them down enough and score enough to win. And uh, boy, was I wrong. Chad, I mean, I, I was right there with you, man. With Quinterly and, and Brandon Miller, I, I, I went into that game and I'm thinking, okay, Tennessee's going to have to score a good amount of points to keep up with Alabama. And, and what we saw is, they lock down on defense. They hold Alabama to their lowest scoring total of the season. And 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 they turn around and, and they're hitting shots that, you know, in my opinion, some of them were bad shot selections, but they ended up going in anyways. Um, and then you've got somebody like Jonas Adu who steps up on the defensive side, gets a double-double last night uh, to go along with Sakai Ziegler's 15 points. And, you know, I, I, I'm still sitting there with five minutes to go in the game, and I'm thinking, okay, when's Alabama going to get out of this shell? And when it comes down to it, Tennessee was just playing great on-ball defense. And so I, I looked at the game last night and, you know, made your hat tip to Tennessee because the way that they lost their last two games, 
that would really put a dagger in some teams. If you got because I've never seen that before. You lose your 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 previous two games by a buzzer beater, and then you come out, you beat the number one team in the country at home, playing good defense, the way that you win games. So credit to Rick Barnes and and Tennessee for what they did last night, because now I think it gives them that even more momentum going into Lexington on Saturday while they try to, uh, you know, Kentucky ruined, you know, Chris Lofton Day in Knoxville. Now Tennessee will try to go ruin Tubby Smith Day in Lexington on Saturday. Trey, we know that Oklahoma and Texas will join the SEC officially July 1st, 2024. And now the next step in all this is figuring out the football schedule and how that's going to be formatted. You spoke with Commissioner Sankey, and he hopes to actually have this idea in uh, complete before the spring meetings, which is next month. So this is not something that they're just now starting to think about. This has been something they've been coming up with for a bit. What's uh, first and foremost that Sankey needs to accomplish to have that done and have that presentable by the spring meetings? Yeah, I, I think the I think the biggest takeaway for me, and we went into a variety of topics from ESPN. I know we'll get into it, ESPN contracts and and television rights and where they're going to be placed. But looking at the schedule and what stood out to me is that they've been working on this since 2019. Uh, in 2019, the 14 member institutions, according to Greg Sankey, came to him and said, "Hey, look, we would like to change the schedule format," and we were, you know, and, and back then we're not. We're not talking about Texas and Oklahoma. At the time, they wanted to change things up from where it stood now, uh, where you could, you know, play more opponents frequently that that maybe you don't. Like Georgia, Texas A&M is a good one. They haven't played each other in 12 years. How is that the case? So you look at where the conference stands at right now and what Greg Sankey is trying to do. He's had what he's had three and a half years, pretty much four years to kind of put this together. I, you know, he, he did when we were talking about this and the full interview will be up uh, tomorrow morning. Um, and, and he went into this, he said, you know, last at the last spring meeting last, you know, whatever recently, you know, the big topping talking point going into that was that, okay, we think they're going to vote on a nine game conference schedule. And he said he, it got close in the meeting. He said it got close to them voting on it, but they finally took a step back and they were like, okay, why don't we wait and see what college football expansion does? Why don't we wait and see if Texas and Oklahoma maybe get an early bid into the conference and don't have to wait until after 25, they, they join in 24. And so coming out of that meeting, it really set up for the future because you know, if if you think about it, if they'd taken a vote and they'd agreed to something, then you know, I, I'm I'm interested just to see how things would have played out with Texas and Oklahoma joining early. There's there's a lot of stuff involved with the ESPN contract, with the television rights that we'll get into, uh, and where games are going to be played, the money that is being spent uh, by by the network, and then by the SEC. So I think scheduling. You know, he said he wanted it a resolution within 90 days, and 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 he would prefer that. He said the outer boundary, you know, is the SEC spring meetings, and you know, in in talking with folks outside of Greg Sankey, 
um, there's a lot of momentum that they get this thing done before they actually head to Destin, where they can then focus on, okay, we've agreed to this schedule. Now, how do we put it together and what teams do we put against each other? So it's going to be a lot. Trey, I may be in the minority here, but they've had divisions for 31 years now in the SEC. Uh, I didn't like it when they went away from divisions in basketball, quite frankly. I I like that neat separation geographically and common rivals every single year that you see that you're competing against and trying to beat. Do you think there's going to be some opposition from someone saying, I kind of like the division format and I don't like opening it up the same way the Big 12 does top to bottom with the SEC? Or does the fact they've already transitioned to this in basketball help Greg Sankey's case for doing this in football? Chad, there was some some opposition last spring when they were in Destin to moving out of the divisions. I agree with you. I like the division format. I, I think it... Can, I don't know how to say it. it sets up, you know, different competition. Okay. You got, you know, you got Georgia and everybody going on the East and Tennessee, and then you got Alabama and LSU and, and Ole Miss and whatnot in the West. Like it just, there's something about the SEC that feels like divisions matter East versus West. And I think it's going to be hard for people once we get out of that and we go to a full 16 teams. Okay, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be based probably off winning percentage, and then they're going to do head-to-heads to try to figure out tiebreakers. It's going to be different, and and I like the East and the West. I mean, they're still doing it in, in baseball right now with the East and the West, technically. So you, you look at where we've come from, and you look at where basketball is at, and I will say yes, and talking to a couple head coaches, in the SEC last spring before those meetings, there was opposition. There was arguments being made inside of those rooms that, wait a minute, why are we getting rid of divisions? Can't we just place or we can move somebody from the West, put them in the Eastern Conference, and then you could have Texas and Oklahoma sticking around maybe in the Western side or however they would figure it out. But yeah, there was opposition. And and I feel like that, you know, I, I hate to see divisions go. I, I, I don't like that. I don't want it to. But if you're moving to a nine-game conference schedule, it kind of just feels like something you might have to go down because of the, the matchups that you're going to see and because of how schools and ADs and presidents and chancellors are going to be arguing for how many good home games they get per year and how many times they're, you know, how, who you're going to go on the road and play. Because – you know, perfect instance, it, it, let's go back like last night, Tennessee. Like Tennessee, you're not going to play Florida, Alabama, and Georgia every year. That's not happening. What they're going to try to do is, according to Greg Sankey and talking with him, if they went down that route, is that you would rotate every other year with one of your rivals that you potentially lose out on uh, with the new schedule. So opposition, yes. <laughs> Chad, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, and I apologize, but this uh, less than a year ago, you did a we had a, a segment where you put together your schedule, yeah, with, without divisions, right? Uh, you had your common opponents, yeah. What well, what my- would have to be sacrificed in common opponents in order to keep the divisions around? I guess is where I'm. Well, I think my my proposal, which won't happen, was more of like a four division format 
where you have common opponents in pods, oh, okay, in divisions. That's right. Um, was yep. was what I was wanting to see. But I think Trey just keeps going back to I like the idea of divisional identity, right? And that's yes. the SEC is unique in that that the East teams talk trash about the West teams, and the West talk trash about the East when they're down. And I've liked that. And it's not like this is just some new thing. 1992 is when they split and went to the SEC championship. This has been 31 years now. This has happened. I just don't think it's as easy as, hey, guys, I'm Greg Sankey, and we don't have divisions well, anymore. And, I mean, with a four-team playoff, I'm for no divisions. With a 12-team playoff, to me, it doesn't matter. Tennessee is a great example. They would have played for the SEC championship game. Um, right? I mean, well, what I, that's what we would have yeah, seen. If there was no division. If there's yeah. no division. Well, I'm worried about, I'm worried about, you know, if we get into this, this no division thing, okay, what if Alabama and LSU play, let's just say at the beginning of November, uh, but their winning percentages are very good in the conference. They do good the whole year. We get that rematch in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. So then you're potentially hurting the conference by not being able to get somebody else into the 12 game playoff, 12 team playoff. Like that's something that yeah. would potentially worry me. If, if you're going to have rematches late in that season, it, it potentially knocks somebody out. So it, it, it's a lot. And, and, and Chad, I agreed with your column when it, when it came out about, about putting it in pods, I, I thought it was a good idea. I still think it's a good idea, you know, but you know, it just feels like, the, the coaches, the ADs, the presidents, they feel like, you know, revenue sharing and whatnot, they're going to be able to make more money if they get out of divisions and go to nine games. Hey, that, 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 that's, that's their duty. I mean, yeah. whatever, but it's it just, it's going to be tough, but I, I think I will say this and we'll talk about this. I think the television contracts and how Greg Sankey negotiated this, I think it will help the Southeastern Conference when it comes to visibility. And they're going to be able to structure their schedule much easier because of the one network, correct? Yes. Yeah, so so in, in, in speaking with Greg Sankey about this, one of his biggest things that he had uh, when it came to signing this new agreement with ESPN and getting out of the CBS ordeal was they want to be able to to set up game times during the summer. Now, I don't I'm not talking about like June. I'm talking about like, you know, late July, around media days, August, something like that. Be able to set up game times for a, a good amount of the schedule for this season. They are no they don't like having to wait and I don't blame them. They're having to wait and sit around for CBS either at that six-day mark or that 12-day window, pretty much usually it's 12-day window to figure out what time you're really going to kick off. But now with the SPM, what they're going to be able to do is, okay, you can throw ABC is going to have a 330 slot. So that technically won't change even though it's on a network. And then you're going to have the 7.30 or 8 o'clock Eastern time prime time slot to be able to throw in. So what you're doing is you're getting more options. So Greg Sankey said, okay, if we're going to agree to this, I want to be able to tell our fans what game times they're going to be for the ones, you know, Maybe let's let's just say Tennessee, Missouri, or or, or or Florida, South Carolina. They want to be able to tell them what time that game is going to kick off during the summer because 
then people can plan around that. It's it's difficult when you find out on a Monday and you got a week or a week and a half, hey, the game's kicking off at 11. Wait, what? Okay. And, and, but they're going to have an ability to flex these games. So there's not going to be a lot of them. But as we've seen in the past, gentlemen, if Bama and LSU is a part of a doubleheader that's going to play at 8 o'clock on CBS and another game is going to be played at 3.30, well, now what ABC and ESPN is going to do is real simple. They're going to throw a game on at 3.30 on ESPN. They're going to throw their primetime game on at 8 o'clock, and it works out for everybody. But that was a big sticking point, according to Greg Sankey, was letting folks know in these teams know times that they're going to play. Boy, Kirby Smart sure did have his replacement for Todd Munkin awfully quick uh, <laughs> with, with Mike Bobo. When you look back on that situation now, Trey, was this was this more of a, everyone knew that Munkin wanted to move on to the NFL situation, or was there any pressure at all? I don't see why there would be. Or was there any pressure at all from Kirby Smart to move Munkin out to bring Bobo up? Uh, Todd Munkin was was ready to get back in the NFL and, and get away from the, the college football grind that it is. Guys, we're starting to see this now even more. And, and I and I would tell folks that this is just the start. Um, I've spoken with many former college coaches that have gotten out of that game and gotten into the NFL because of the daily life that they have, because they know that they're going to be in the facility at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning. But guess what? When 6 o'clock rolls around, they're going home. They're spending time with their family. They're actually living a life compared to college football where you're on the phone with a 12-year-old, not 12-year-old, a 17-year-old till 12 o'clock at night, or you're sitting up there and you're waiting for the head coach to leave so you can go home and spend time with your family. It's just a different game. And for Todd Monken, I've been told that was one of the reasons why he wanted to get out of Georgia, nothing against Georgia, but get out of Georgia and get in the NFL and, and maybe have a more balanced life. And uh, it just so happens that Mike Bobo, is an analyst the same way that it happened with Will, Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp, analyst, Georgia, all of a sudden maybe a little openings, okay, co-defensive coordinator. Now Mike Bobo returns. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for Georgia again and some weird blast from the past. Trey, what did uh, – I'm assuming it was more than just a convo about scheduling with Sankey. Did, uh, yeah. did he get into the details of the behind-the-scenes negotiation to get – Texas and Oklahoma a year early. Yeah, I mean they 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 we talked about that. We talked about how that you know they had to sit back and 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 wait for you know the Big Twelve. Pretty much when the Big Twelve added new members, that's when the Southeastern Conference knew that this was probably going to happen earlier. Once they went out and added a few more teams, you know the BYU, the UCF, and go on. It, it opened up an opportunity for them to bring in Texas and Oklahoma early. Now, it's not anything that the SEC did. They kind of hung back and, um, you know, let Texas and Oklahoma do their thing. But I will add, you know, and, and this is what Greg Sankey said to me that will be out tomorrow, is that Texas and Oklahoma, they have been a part of the conversations, you know, for the last year or so. Um, they have been in now. It doesn't affect anything that's currently going on, but they have been a part of the conversation uh, in regards to future events that happen in the conference. He told me that Big Twelve delegation was down in Birmingham this past December. Uh, they had meetings. 
They've been going over details and items. And and the, the one thing that stood out to me is when Greg Sankey said to me, we have bigger expectations for Texas and Oklahoma in the Southeastern Conference that maybe than what they had in the Big 12. And I, I took that and I asked him on it and, it, and it came back to, okay, recognizing television, making sure your stadium is up to code with what we do in the SEC, your finances, you know, having it set up for fans whenever they're coming to town of opposing teams. A lot of stuff goes into this. And once they got, you know, the the full-blown trigger, okay, they're joining a year early. Those conversations have ramped up even more uh, recently. But but I will say this, and, and Greg Sankey will explain a lot of this tomorrow, Texas and Oklahoma have been a really big part of what the SEC is planning to do in the future, even though they're not getting a cut or anything along those lines right now. Trey Wallace, check out the Trey Wallace podcast, drops tomorrow, his conversation with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. You can read the work right now at outkick.com. Trey, thank you as always, man. Guys, I'm happy to have a great rest of the week, and uh, appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Trey. man. Have a great one. Trey Wallace there. uh, Again, outkick.com for his latest with Greg Sankey. Coming up, Tiger Woods and Yellowstone. This is Outkick 360. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tiger Woods, he's teed off at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera. He has the most starts at Riviera without a, a, without a win. His very first professional start was at Riviera when he was 16 years wow. old in 1992. Good start for him so far. He's one under. He's on three putting for birdie right now on this par four, 450-yard hole. Um, and he's birdied the first hole. Par number two, and now going for birdie. And if he will stop aiming this, I can tell you what he does. Here we go. I can tell you if he holes this or not. We got a lot of uh, happening right now. It's like a 25-footer, and it comes up about a foot and a half short. So he's got to tap in for par. He'll be one under through three. Leaders at seven under and finish for the day. So good start. John this, is, this is a great start for uh, for Tiger Woods. We'll, we'll oh, no, keep you updated me. throughout. Max Homa is now yep. in the lead. Well, John Robb at six under. And uh, Kuchar is at five under at Riviera in the Genesis Invitational. Chad, Yellowstone, I am not caught up. I'm not worried about spoilers at all. Um, but yeah, I do know all the, yeah, I'm, all I'm the drama you, and the, the news about who could be coming into the show, who's I, not. I'm not going to give you any spoilers on this. We'll talk with David Hookstead later, who's written about it also. So there's all this drama about uh, Kevin Costner is working on some like eight-hour Western movie apparently, or series that's, that's separate wow. that he's producing and directing, but he's got a lot of different things going How on. How many movies has he been in on horseback? Oh, I mean, he, I've, I've seen an interview with Kevin Costner, <laughs> and he said, I had no idea that playing Little League Baseball at a young age and learning how to ride a horse 
at a dude ranch at a young age was going to help my acting career so much. Because think of the baseball movies he's oh, been in where yes. he, he knows how to play baseball clearly when he's throwing a baseball and catching it, right? So that's something he did as a kid, and he's, he knows how to ride horseback since he was a child. So he does that. Anyway, the drama surrounding it is Kevin Costner doesn't want to devote the time to continue filming whatever the commitment is for Yellowstone. This show, while I believe it is spinning its wheels right now and has not been that good the last two seasons, cannot just end with this, well, maybe we'll come back, maybe we won't. Here is what I'm negotiating with Kevin Costner. Okay. If you have to kill him in episode one of the final season to make sure that he comes in and shoots for two days to get a final season started, I don't care. But there has to be conclusion. Yes. The build-up for a sixth and final season, they're going to come back from their break and show the back half of this season. But if they could film a final season with or without Kevin Costner the whole way through, but just the build-up for a wildly successful show to get to the finish line where Taylor Sheridan can create the end of that story in some way, and then you continue the story with Matthew McConaughey, who is rumored to be signed on, to do another I mean, Taylor Sheridan show that's going to feature some Yellowstone characters. Not all of them, but you can get to that ending of Yellowstone and the start of the spinoff with Matthew McConaughey, with Yellowstone characters. Boom. I solved the problem for you. Do whatever Kevin Costner needs. I'm not saying you hold him you know, at gunpoint and say, you've got to film eight episodes or 12 or whatever to do it. I would work it yes. out with him that in the creative process... It's- I've got an idea where you die in the season premiere of the final season. And then it's the fallout from that the rest of the season. Whatever the idea is, just do not end it with uncertainty. Where because Kevin Costner can't film, the show falls apart. Just have one final season. It would be like Walter White not being there for the final season of Breaking Bad. This is the thing about Yellowstone, too. They could probably force two more seasons after this. The thing needs to end in season six. You can only have the brother and sister about to kill each other. Was this, you know, every season for so long until people start is this to actually also die. Costner realizing that? Maybe. I mean, so I'm, by I'm saying sure this, he's demanding the end of it. He probably doesn't love the product as much as he did in the beginning. Also, maybe, maybe some of it. Maybe he is, you know, sort of in a side way forcing their hand to get to a conclusion maybe. with the story. But to me, that's the win-win for all parties involved. And then you can start the. Matt, who I, and I love Matthew McConaughey. I'll watch whatever he does. I've, you can start that spinoff series. Then. I've always been fascinated by the shows that have a ton of success, knowing when to end it despite the money that they're making. When to end, how to end is the most difficult process of a very difficult process of making a show. Doesn't sound like Rex Ryan is done coaching. Rumors are he's headed to Denver. Details next as we hit the headlines prior to our visit with Billy Lucci of Texas. 